Uh, if we've never met before, my name is Jonathan Monk. I get to lead our high school ministry. And so our high schoolers right now are super excited about some of the opportunities that they have, especially uh, Power Up Clubs. So Power Up Clubs starts uh, just this uh, Friday boot camp, and then they move in uh, just next Sunday. So our high school, yeah, woo, yeah, our high schoolers are, are super excited um, about that, and not only our, our students, but my, uh, my kids. So Alice and I have three kids, and we're hosting a power-up club for the first time. So we had the official sign ceremony yesterday. We tried to get our kids all hyped up for it. The, putting the sign in the yard was a big deal. So we did that yesterday. We're getting excited. Here's a picture of my family real quick. So this is my wife, Allison. This is bedtime. It's crazy around our house. And so on one occasion, Allison just wanted to capture a moment of it and to, to try to have some fun in the midst of the chaos. You know what I'm saying? Like, bedtime can be crazy, but we try to have fun. So uh, this is Lydia, our oldest, and uh, so love being a dad. I was made a dad about five years ago in, uh, not here in Jacksonville, but Eden, North Carolina. That's where we were living. Uh, Lydia was born in a little towny hospital, uh, like at the second floor. Then um, two years later, Right here, Chloe uh, was born. Same hospital, same exact room. All right, same room. So super cool experience. But then when Asher was born, totally different experience because I felt like I was already made a dad, but when Asher was born, I felt like I was made a midwife. All right, what happened was Asher was not born at, at the hospital where most babies are supposed to be born. He was actually born at home, wasn't the plan. We woke up at three in the morning and then kind of like, oh, should we go? We didn't know whether should we should go or not. He was born two weeks early. And so at about 5.30 in the morning, I called two people, one of our high school students to come watch the kids, the two oldest, and the 911. And I called the 911 operator just saying, hey, you need to get here quick. Uh, my wife, I don't think we're going to be able to drive. We need to get her an ambulance. And I was convinced that she would get an ambulance and then we would get to the hospital. Um, but uh, the, the 911 operator started asking me, all sorts of questions as our high school student entered into the house. And he was asking me questions like, how far apart are her contractions? And I was, I was like, I don't know how to answer that question because the last time our kids were born, all I had to do was cheer Allison on because we were in the hospital and there was, there was doctors in the room. I didn't have anything, I didn't have a role really, or I felt that way. Um, but uh, so long story short, the 911 operator, I'm pleading with him like, you guys need to get here fast. And it felt like it felt like 15 minutes, and he basically told me very directly, he said, sir, uh, especially when her water broke, he said, sir, you're going to go ahead and, and, and deliver this baby. And so with the help of one of our own high school students who's going to be a senior, we delivered Asher right there in our bathroom. So it was, it was crazy. Yes, thanks. <laughs> um, so uh, love being made a dad. I just don't want to be made a midwife um, again. I uh, like that. So uh, I start with that because... I want us to see in Ephesians 3 what we have been made. Not a midwife, right? Not a, not a dad. Uh, but in Ephesians 3, look at verse 7 real quickly here. We're going to be primarily in verses 7 and 8 this morning. We're in Ephesians where Doug has been leading us for a while. Ryan did the first few verses last week, and then I'll be doing a few verses here in Ephesians 3, uh, 7, 8, and then 12. But look at what he says. In verse 7, he says, of this gospel of which I was Made and then in one word, what what was what does Paul say that we've been made? A minister. Yeah, he says this, verse seven. Everybody, here's another picture of SeaWorld. It's awesome. Forgot to show it, but there it is. Um, so looking at the mystery man, verse seven, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according 
to the working of his power. So to give us just a bit of some context here, because uh, we're only looking at a few verses this morning. If you look here, Ephesians 3, uh, let me pick up um, kind of where, where Ryan led, uh, read last week. So verse 5, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. Verse 6, to be specific, remember this last week? that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. And then verse eight, to me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So that, again, Ryan read this last week, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then he mentions prayer here in verse 12. In whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, last verse, therefore ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf for they are your glory. So there we see those are the passages that kind of see how verse 7 fits within the, the passage here. We'll be primarily, again, looking at verse 7 and 8. But here's what I want us to see. Based upon last week, the connection from last week to this week is, is this. So Paul says, okay, I was made a minister. But then he says, God has revealed a mystery to give us a ministry. God has revealed a mystery so that we might have a, um, a ministry. Now for me, when I read Ephesians 3, especially verse 7 that I, we just read, and I see the word minister, I think, well, that's talking about me because in my job description, I'm the minister to senior high. But for maybe some of us in this room, when you read and you see the word minister, you're like, that's not me. <laughs> Especially verse eight when we read that says preach. You're like, I'm, not a, I'm a banker, I'm not a preacher, so that's not talking about me. And it's easy to think that if you don't work at a church, you're not, you're not a minister. So I simply ask you this morning, are you, a, are you a minister? I asked, oh, I just heard someone say yes. Okay, good, that's good. Uh, I asked one of our leaders in, high, in our high school ministry recently who obviously doesn't work at a church but works in a different job, and I, I said to them, do you see yourself as a minister? And she said, um, paused, and she said, yes, I have the spirit of God and I have a Bible. Yeah, I'm a minister. So let me just put the question before you again. Are, do you see yourself as a minister? Are the Fonses in the video that we just saw and they, in their neighborhood as they had that barbecue, are they, a, are they a minister? Yes. You may not be paid to be a minister, but that doesn't make you any less of a minister. And just because you're not paid, that doesn't mean you're not a minister. Someone brought this to my attention recently, but if you were to walk out of this building or, or this auditorium and go left, those where the church offices are. And if you're just to walk around where all of our offices are, most, if not all of the staff have worked previous jobs before coming on staff, right? So like uh, Tony Anderson was an attorney before coming on staff here. Doug, way back in the day, like 30 years ago, was a, was a teacher. I didn't mean that to be a joke. Right? I hope he's not watching. 
a while ago, he was, he was a teacher. I was a teacher just for a short amount of time in a public school. Uh, Tracy worked uh, at Baptist South. We had, we had all different uh, types of staff who've worked in different jobs. Some of us have been teachers. So point is that before we came on staff, I think we were already ministers. Being in a staff position didn't make us a minister because a minister is not a title. A minister is what we do. It's just who we are. A ministry is basically we, we want to serve. So every Christ follower is a minister. We see in 1 Peter 2.9, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What does this mean? We're the priesthood? Well, now we have direct access to God. We represent God to the people at our work or where we live. Or as as we've heard a lot around here, uh, maybe a quick explanation of 1 Peter 2.9, the spirit of God lives in me, right? I'm a child of God, forgiven and set free. The spirit of God lives in me to do the work of God through me. And then do you remember the next part? That I'm an instrument of God of more people finding more life in Jesus. So yes, I'm, I'm, I'm a minister, even though I may not be on staff or, or paid for it. Last week, do you remember this? Big picture storyline of the Bible. Ryan did this so good. And he showed us this mystery being revealed. And then he said, the mystery, the channel is not, is not the Jews but the cha- or Israel, but the channel is the church. And then he read this verse kind of like as the climactic point. He was leading us to see this verse, to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So we are partakers. We get to participate in what God is doing. I was encouraged how Ryan last week said that not only are we grace receivers, but we want to participate in what God is doing. And he gave an example that he is the minister to college. He ministers to college students here, but not only to college students, because he shared the example at the end of his message last week, how he wants to minister to his, to his neighbors. And I think the same should be for us. So every Christ follower is a minister but more personally or specifically, I want you to see yourself that if you've trusted in Christ, I want you to see yourself as I'm a minister. I'm a minister. And so I think, hopefully you're convinced of that, and that the question then is not, are you a minister? Then the question that I'd like you to ask yourself is, what kind of minister are you? What kind of minister are you? Before um, coming, or, or several years ago, I was, um, went to, to Bible college at CIU. As most of you know that. Some of our staff has gone there. I had the opportunity to go to CIU with my younger brother. We enrolled at the same time. We were there for four years. And Andrew and I um, loved going to our chapel services that we would have a few times a week at, at our school. A lot of times we have pastors that would come in and share from the scriptures. But on occasion, we would have businessmen from downtown Columbia of a lot of different jobs that would come in and encourage us, messages on leadership and this and that. And they would talk about how they had ministry in the workplace and how they would lead Bible studies at their jobs. And my brother Andrew was always a bit skeptical because he was like, how does that really work? That's not real ministry because we were both Bible college students and we thought we knew everything about the Bible and we were both thinking, man, we're gonna be on staff at a church one day. And so Andrew was like, ministry in the workplace? Come on, that's not a real thing. But then he graduated from college. I, with, I with a, uh, graduated with a Bible teaching degree. He graduated with a biblical languages degree. And uh, long story short, he started working at an insurance company for about a year only 
so that he could earn enough money to buy an engagement ring and then get married. It was just a kind of a job for temporary uh, time, you know what I'm saying? So he does that, but then eight years later, he just turned 30 the other day, guess where he still works? He works in downtown Columbia at the Kaysen Group. He sells insurance and he loves it. And he still loves Jesus. And he loves the boss that he gets to work with. His boss, he told me recently, is constantly reminding them there's more to goals and revenues, but let's keep eternity in mind even as we sell insurance here. And Andrew told me recently that um, one of his, um, he's, not the, he, he's not the boss, but he kind of leads like a team, that one of the people that was on his team that left to go to another company wrote him a note and said, hey, thank you for investing in me personally, professionally, but most importantly, Andrew, thank you for investing in me spiritually. My brother is a minister and he has seen, humbly so, that over the last few years, ministry in the workplace, it works. And so he'll go to work tomorrow and he will sell insurance but he's more than just an insurance salesman. He is a minister, and you know what? I'm proud of him, and he's a good one. He's a good one of it. He has so much more in mind than just selling insurance. He wants to, he wants to make an impact, right? And so, you may not sell insurance, but you may sell houses, you may sell tile, you may sell cars, you may sell diamonds, you may sell chicken at Chick-fil-A, uh, you may be in the medical field, you may be an engineer, or you may be in the Navy. But you, if you've trusted in Christ, I've got great news for you, that you might go to work a little bit different tomorrow with a different perspective. The Lord has me here. I'm no less of a minister, even though I'm not paid for it. I'm a minister. Lord, where's the impact at? Where are they at? Who can I make a difference? Whose life can I make a difference in? So here's what I want you to do. Now think, I, I'm a minister where, where it's where God has put, put you. So I want you to write down, if, if you're taking notes or just maybe a mental note, Write down your job. Where do you work at? So for me, CFC. Before this, I would say I would have written the, the public school system in North Carolina. So write down where you work, and then where do you live? Because not only are we ministers where we work, we're also ministers in our neighborhood. So for Alice and I, we live in, uh, on North Ride Circle. Or you could also put um, not only just your neighborhood, but more specifically, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you're a minister, even as you change diapers and as you feed and as you clean and all the other responsibilities, that that ministry matters as well, right? There's a ministry there. Uh, you could put, put down here the ministry where you serve here on, on campus on Sundays, whether it's parking or greeting or at the table. Lots of us have ministry opportunities where we work, where we live, more specifically for a week, power-up clubs. That's a ministry opportunity. Raise your hand if you're a host home. All right, some of you, all right, 68 host homes, excited for that. We have uh, 23 teams, 16 of our 23 captains are, are, uh, are new, they've never been captains before, um, but I want them to know they're ministers. Adult leaders, there's an opportunity for ministry there. So, as we know what we minister, or what we are we ministers, we know where, we're, where we have the opportunities to minister. And I think it's good to know that as we step into these ministry opportunities, you know it's inevitable? It's inevitable that we will feel weak, we will want to shrink back, feel inadequate, or over time, as you seek to do ministry in your work or where you live, you might get discouraged. And ask yourself the question, like, does this really matter does this really matter? And I think for that reason, we really need Ephesians 3 this morning, especially verses 7 and 8. 
Because Ephesians 3, 7 and 8 is gonna remind us of why we do ministry and then how we do ministry. So first here, let's see why, why do we do ministry? Well, I think by definition, a minister, as I, as I said earlier, is a servant. So if you look here in verse two, Paul, a servant, is recognizing I've been given something, but it's not just for me, it's for others. So Paul says this as he thinks about taking the gospel to the Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, of which I was made a minister according to the, grace, the gift of God's grace, mentions given here in verse seven, given again in verse eight. So you see this? A minister, why, why do I do ministry? Because I recognize that God has given me something and I'm to serve others by using what God has given me. Why do I do ministry? To serve. And God has uniquely gifted me to make an impact in the lives of those people around me. 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I was watching the Phoenix Suns basketball game the other day and the head coach, Monty Williams, he's a, he's a Christ follower. That guy's got the gift of encouragement and he's using his gift to serve the team, not just to win the finals, which I think they will, but he has much bigger goals than that. He wants to serve. He wants to serve with how God has gifted me. So you may not be a, um, a basketball coach like that, but I think about like one of our interns here in our high school ministry, very different than an NBA basketball coach. Ann Lewis was asked recently, why do you want to intern in the high school ministry? And Ann said, because I want to do for others what others have done for me. She has a gift and she's using it to impact high school girls. All right, so there's a variety of gifts, not gonna get into all of that, but you don't know, your gift may be leadership or administration or hospitality. Point being, let's use our gifts. And our gifts don't place us above people, but they're meant us to love people well. So that's the first why. Second why is here in verse eight. Why do I do ministry? To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. In one word, last word, I do ministry ultimately for Christ. That's Paul's, Paul's motivation. I want, he talks about, I want to know Christ. I want others to know Christ. He preached Christ because he loved Christ. So our second why here is, why do I do ministry? Why do I want to do this? When I get discouraged and I think, is this worth it? I want to recognize that I have the responsibility to preach Christ. Put ourselves in the shoes of Paul, the guy who's talking about, hey, you need to go preach Christ. Let's be encouraged by his life here. That wasn't always the case for him because we know that in Acts 7, as one guy is preaching Christ, Stephen, the first martyr for the Christian faith, he is preaching Christ and, Steve, and Paul disagrees with him. He thinks he's 100% wrong and eventually has Stephen killed. And, and, and so we see God did so much in Paul's life, which is a little uh, encouragement here is that if there are people that you work with or people you live with or people in your family that are far from God and that are rejecting the gospel that we preach, let's not be discouraged or give up on them because no one is ever beyond the reach of God's grace. Paul certainly was because we know that in Acts 9, he's radically converted and you know the rest of the story. Saul's name changed to Paul. Paul goes from being a persecutor of the church to a proclaimer for the church and by the end of Acts 9, he's preaching Jesus. And then he goes on his first missionary journey in Acts 13. 
and he gets an opportunity in a synagogue because he preached first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And he's sitting there and they say, hey, Paul, do you got a word? You want to say something? And Paul stands up, starts with the Old Testament, but he didn't just teach a list of commands or a law. He ultimately showed how the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. Paul preached Christ. Now, as we bridge the gap from Ephesus to Jacksonville and we think through how this applies to us, we may be turned off by the word preach, um, but to preach simply means to announce good news. It's to proclaim the gospel, and you may not be called to preach on a stage, but you are called to talk to lost people, the lost people that God has put around you. And that's hard. I'm not the best at that. In fact, I'm pretty awkward at it, to be honest. It's hard to get into those conversations. But in Acts 17, I was reading the other day, I found uh, some good, a good old lesson from Paul that in Paul's in Athens, and before he preaches the gospel, it says of something that he saw. He walks in the city, and he was very observant. He's looking around, and he sees idols. And he observed, and he, he says to them, man, I, I know that you guys are very religious. And he doesn't just start with the Old Testament law because they weren't Jews. There's philosophers and all these people of different backgrounds. He does get to the gospel, but first he made observations and he learned about the people. And before we share the gospel with the person across the street who may be annoying you because of how their front yard looks, but as you share the gospel with them, before, before you get there, learn about them. What's going on in their life? Where are they from? Have they been in Jacksonville their whole life? Did they move somewhere else? Where do they work? What do they do? What do their kids do? What do they love to do? And I think as we ask questions and we get to know people, there becomes windows of opportunities to speak the gospel into what we learn about them, right? There's a lot we can learn about people. Like when I taught in North Carolina, it didn't take me very long to realize that by my first year there, the students in small town Eden, North Carolina, which was an area filled with poverty, that one of an idol or what they wanted more than anything else was to get out of Eden. That that was like, man, if I could just get out of this little city, and sometimes I was like, hey, I feel, I feel that way too. I don't want to be here either, right? But it was, it was where God had me. And they wanted to be to get to Charlotte or to Raleigh. And there was like, if I could just make more money. But I, those learning about them opened up doors and opportunities that as they asked me questions, me very naturally to say, hey, joy is not found in a place, but in a person. And when you know that person, your location doesn't matter. Joy is found in Jesus, and where you work or where you live, or maybe in your neighborhood, it's, it's, it's a little challenging. You may not be able to share the gospel like at your work. But people are watching your life and your life preaches. And as they watch your life, I think there's going to inevitably come opportunities for them to ask you questions well, that will then lead you to have spiritual conversations. For example, I was talking to one of my friends recently. He shared with Alice and I a pretty cool story of what his boss noticed about him. Again, ordinary guy, not the boss of the company. He said, this is what the boss observed. He said that the one thing that stood out is that through a lot of stress at work and difficult situations, I didn't seem phased at work. That I remained joyful, was always positive. That he could tell it came from a place where my faith is. He said it made him want to be more religious. So I sent him the Gospel of John and Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis with a note stating the importance of these books to me, I wanted him to see that my joy didn't come through religion, but through a personal relationship with Christ, through faith, and that he could possess it too. Isn't that encouraging? I mean, people are watching our lives and our lives preach, and when people 
notice things about us and we get opportunities to talk, we don't only want to talk about ourselves, right? We want to preach Christ or talk about Christ. This is why Ephesians 3.8 here, this verse is so important that we get to preach, we get to preach Christ. And when people ask us what we think, we don't only want to share our political view with them, but we want to share much more than that. We want to preach Christ. We don't want to be confusing and just give them a, well, this is how I am, and give them some sort of like a positive speech of a try harder as I've tried hard. No, we want to point them to Christ. We want to do, as Paul says in Colossians 1, him we proclaim. Because think about it. When people ask you why why you're the way you are, what else are you going to talk about? I mean, Jesus, let's talk about him, the one who knows all about our struggles, who they might notice that we're good ministers, but that if they watch us long enough, they're gonna know that we fail as ministers and we disappoint people as ministers. But let's ultimately point them to Jesus, who is the perfect minister, who came, it says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's talk about him, all right? Because I think people in our lives, our neighbors, our coworkers, they need to see that is, is the Jesus we proclaim and the Jesus we talk about, he's real to us. That we have encountered him personally, that we're not formed by feelings, but we hold fast to what is truth, that we search the world, but it couldn't fill me. I think about the songs we just sang, that Jesus is not some sort of like something we've imagined. He, he's not the God of our imagination, but he's the God of revelation, that he's made himself known to us. That Jesus is not um, just some guy who walked alongside the Sea of Galilee, who spoke to a, gr- a group of fishermen and said, hey, yeah, come follow me. Like, that's just some made-up story. No, that historically, we really believe that Jesus did walk alongside the Sea of Galilee and on it and called people to follow him. And then in the same way, thousands of years later, Jesus has spoken to us and he has said, hey, come follow me. And we have said, I will count everything as a loss compared to knowing you. I will deny myself. I want to follow you. I think people need to see that ultimately we're not just relaxed because we're, we have a laid back personality, but we might seem relaxed and not under pressure because we have gone to God and we've casted our cares upon him and we know that he cares for us. That we know that our greatest problem has already been solved. We wanna communicate that with people. And I think talking about Jesus, should, it should never get old. Right? Sometimes it, it may, but we don't want it to. We want, to. we want it to be fresh, which is why I think here a reminder for my own self is that when I preach the gospel to myself and remind myself that I need it just as much as the lost person does, I think it, it changes the way I talk to them because I talk to them, the same Jesus I'm telling you about is the same Jesus I need him. I need him every hour. I need him. And talking about him should never get old because if you look at the last line here, Paul says that when we preach Christ, we preach the unfathomable riches of Christ. Other versions say unsearchable, immeasurable, incomprehensible, infinite, impossible, unlimited, unlimitable, too big to comprehend. You can't get to the bottom of Christ. Paul, after like in Romans, he spends 11 chapters unpacking the gospel. Here's what Paul says. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable are his ways. So when you get an opportunity to talk about Jesus with, with your, a lost person in your life, what are you gonna say? There's so much to say. You could talk about um, the incarnation, how God became a man. 
You could talk about his words or works. You could talk about how like John says about Jesus in the gospel of John, that Jesus did all things well. He always did that which was pleasing to the Father. You could tell them the story about how Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, but three times when he was tempted, he quoted scripture and he overcame the evil one. And then you can say, you know what? I'm very different than Jesus because I've been tempted and I have failed in the midst of temptation, but I know one where I have failed, he has succeeded perfectly. And he came and he loved me and he died for me. And he, he is everything that I need him to be. And he's more than enough. And you can obviously talk, go to the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, and the fact that you can say, I know Jesus, he's Lord of my life and he's my coming king. He is coming again. We get to preach the unfathomable riches of Christ. And you may not preach Christ from a stage. Does it make it any less of, of importance? Um, you may get to preach or talk about Jesus in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. As one of our high school students did one Wednesday night, um, after um, he, uh, one of our students taught, had the opportunity over in our high school building to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a student, he preached Christ by just very uh, uh, carefully, can't find the right word there, uh, walked through John 3.16, preached Christ, then he asked the student to respond. The student paused, thought about it, and said, yeah, I want to believe in Jesus. You want to do that right now? No, not right now. Let me think about it. He took, went, took home the paper of John 3.16 explained, and the student placed faith in Christ later that night. That was just a few months ago. So why, why do I do ministry, man? Why, why are you going to go to work tomorrow? Because you want to lift up Jesus. You want to proclaim him. And when we proclaim him, lives are changed. Always? Like when you preach Christ, will lives always be changed? Maybe not, no, all right. Not, not exactly the way that we think or on our timing. But our responsibility is to share. God's role is in the saving. But we want to be quick to share, right? And just a bit of encouragement here. Uh, the, you may know people in your life that can, that can communicate better than you. And so when it comes to trying to share the gospel with people, you're like, ah, they're just better at it. They, they, they can, they just, they're better with words that can communicate better than me. Yeah, but think about this. When you preach the unfathomable riches of Christ, no one can preach a better gospel than you. Let that sink in. So that's why we do ministry. We wanna point people to Jesus, but how do we do ministry? And as we look at this next verse, as we think about practically like, how do I carry out this ministry that God has given me? Look at how Paul views himself because I think it's an indicator of how he did ministry. So how? Verse eight. He says, to me, the very least of all the saints. See how he sees himself? I'm the least of all the saints, not beating himself up or, or sorry for himself. But I think Paul here is demonstrating a very accurate view of himself, which is humility uh, defined. Whereas pride is a puffed up view of yourself. Paul has an accurate view of himself before God. We know here in Oh, so we minister with humility is what we see here with Paul. And I want to take us to a passage in 1 Timothy here. So I minister with humility. That's how I do ministry. I'm the least of these. Look at what he says in 1 Timothy. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful putting me into this service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement serving a full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners among whom I am the foremost. 
So Paul, as he reflects on who he used to be and who God has made him to be, he goes, man, I'm the least of these. He knew that ministry was for them, the Gentiles, not for himself. A great example here is to minister with humility. Like Paul, we're the, we're the least of these. And by the way, I love here how Paul says, to me? Like, how do you think he said it? To me? Like he deserved it? No. I think Paul, when he realized the ministry that he had the privilege to carry out, he says, to me? To me, like based upon all that he's done, I get to do this? In the same way in our own lives, I think when we realize who we used to be and who God has made us to be, as we go into work, drive into work, or as you sit at your office, or as you interact with your coworkers, or as you're walking in your neighborhood and you get opportunities to talk to people, you say, to me? To me, I, I get to do this? I get to minister to people? It's a reminder that people are not projects, but it's a privilege to be able to minister to them. And ministering to them should always be a joy and never a burden. That's how it should be, right? Um, when I taught in North Carolina at the public school, I, I loved teaching in the classroom and I loved my students, but I didn't really uh, always like other parts of the job. So for several years, for the few years that I was there, they asked me, hey, can you come to staff meetings? Nope, not gonna come to staff meetings. Can you help out with uh, testing? No, nah, I don't wanna do that. Can you help with the car line? No, I don't wanna do that. I, I wasn't a very good minister. And then finally, to my surprise, the principal put me on car line duty my last year there. And I did it with a bad attitude. I was like, I need my 45 minutes at the end of the day to prepare the Bible lesson for the next day. I don't have time for this. I was a complainer. I was a little baby about it. But over time, the Lord worked in my heart to realize, no, this is an opportunity. Because in the car line, I began to meet parents. And I began to say to kids, like, encourage them. Hey, great question today. You know, like, hey, tomorrow we're teaching Joseph. Man, it's going to be a good one. I'll see you tomorrow in class. And the Lord convicted me that it, during those days, it was easier for me in the classroom to talk about how we should serve like Jesus than it was for me to go out in the parking lot and actually serve like Jesus. You know what I'm saying? It was easier for me in the classroom to talk about the Good Samaritan who saw needs and met needs than it was for me as the Bible teacher to go out and see needs and then meet needs. Now, I... <laughs> I, and then more personally, like in the last week, it's easier for me to prepare about ministering and it's easier for me to talk about ministering than it is actually go out and minister, you know? I wanna minister with humility. And so as you think about in your own job, is there a task that you would rather not do? I think when you minister with humility, willing to do whatever people ask you to do, I think that makes a real difference. I know of one teacher, not in North Carolina, but in Jacksonville, she ministered with humility faithfully for like 18 years. And at her retirement uh, party, it showed people had seen, this, this, this lady really ministered well. People were impacted by her life. I know that because Alice and I went to visit her on one of her last days and, the, and this teacher introduced us, this, she goes to church here, and the teacher introduced us to the janitor of all people. And the janitor, I could tell, genuinely was gonna miss her. She made an impact. She ministered with humility. If you left your work in the next week with the people that you worked with, would they miss you? Would your presence be missed? Oh, let's make the most of the days and the minutes that we have there. So that's uh, how, with humility, second, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So how do I do ministry? I do it, lastly here, prayerfully. Paul knew that he had direct access to God. 
And so he prayed. There's a lot that we can learn about the, the prayer life of Paul. But I think better than the prayer life of Paul, we have the prayer life of Jesus, who prayed during a variety of times, intensity. He prayed before decision-making. You can look through the Gospels and see Jesus prayed for Peter. He prayed in the garden. He prayed at the cross. And I think that we're foolish to think that we can minister to others apart from prayer. We want to minister well. And I know it's easy for me to think that, man, I don't have time to pray, to pray. But in Paul Miller's book on prayer, I learned a quote that's been helpful for me. Prayer doesn't offer you a less busy life, but it does offer you a less busy heart that I need to pray. And one of the things that someone, a mentor has shown me recently is that when it comes to ministering to others, ministry never stops, it just changes. So for, what, is that, what does that mean? Ministry never stops, it just changes. It's because I minister here at this church, but when I leave and go home, I'm going home not to be off duty, but I'm actually going home to my number one ministry, which is my family. And I have found that when I, when I go home in the afternoons, I never know what I'm walking into with three kids. It is, our house is crazy, all right? And I don't know what kind of what day my wife has had, but when I pray, I'm a better dad. And I know that recently, uh, one of our kids wouldn't, wouldn't go to bed. And I got down on my knees and I prayed with Allison. And I thought we were gonna pray about a 10 second prayer. It ended up being about a 30 minute prayer. In my seven years of marriage with Allison, it's been one of our best prayer times. Because it was in that moment we realized, hey, we can't do this apart from the Lord. We need him. And then I realized that the, really the prayer request was not that, our, that our, our kid would go to sleep, but that the Lord would change us. And I can't be a dad. I can't minister apart from prayer. And as you think about where you live and where you work, and there's a lot of opportunities we have, but I think it starts with prayer. Think about bless and as power-up clubs comes up. Man, there are people that you might live near that think that in order to be prayed for, they need to go to a priest or they need to go to a pastor. No, you're equipped. You're a gospel minister. If they need prayer, they can come to you. You can point them to James 1 if they're lacking wisdom. You can read James 1 that says, if any man lacks wisdom, what do you think we should do? What does it say? Oh, yeah, it says we should ask God. Let's do that right now, all right? Let's ask God for wisdom for you, all right? So we have great opportunities to minister to people through prayer. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. So what are we? We're ministers. We're ministers. Why? Uh, To serve others by using what God has given us. And by, and the second why there is we want to point them to Jesus. How do I minister? Well, I minister with humility and I minister prayerfully. There's a lot of uh, men who have impacted me as ministers. One of the guys who impacted me as a minister is actually has never been on staff at a church. He builds uh, homes in Winter Park uh, um, down outside of Orlando. So Charlie Clayton is his name. He has a company called Charles Clayton Construction. He grew up as our neighbor. We were right across the street with five kids in our family. Um, our mom and dad couldn't afford a basketball hoop, so Charlie bought us a basketball hoop. By high school, he gave me a job. I worked for him. I was sweeping out houses, picking up uh, supplies and different things for the company. And I always noticed that on the side of his work shirt, it said Psalm 127, which eventually led me to ask him, what does that say? And he said, well, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. And uh, he printed out Romans 7 to me. I don't even know why or the context of that, but he was a man that was trying to point me to Scripture while I was far from the Lord as a high schooler. 21, I came to know the Lord and then went back and started working with him. And he impacted me in a lot of ways. 
Um, when my mom got cancer, I didn't, wasn't close to a pastor, but I was close to this guy, Charlie, and he prayed for me. On one occasion, he told me to meet him at a, a house. I thought it was a house that he was building. It wasn't a house that he was building. It was an, uh, an older gentleman who needed some help. And it was this old beat-up duplex, and Charlie just wanted to help this guy out. I didn't know the guy, but Charlie knew him. We walk into the house, and over the next few hours, we clean his house up. And, and, and when I walked in, the smell, it was, it was hard to, 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 to walk in there. It hadn't been cleaned in I don't know how long. I did it with a bad attitude, and I was getting paid for it. But Charlie did it with a good attitude, and he, he thought, man, it's a privilege to serve this guy. It wasn't in the moment, but several years later, I realized, man, that had an impact on me. And then probably the way in which he impacted me the most was his Wednesday morning Bible study. Uh, he would lead a Bible study at his work at 7 a.m. before everybody went to the job sites. It wasn't only construction guys. We had a few other guys of different professions that would come in. And we would open up and we'd read and talk about the Bible. And even though I had grown up in the church, to hear men talk about the Bible like that had a big impact on me. I remember talking about Philippians 3 one day. And as I went and worked on his job site, I thought about Philippians 3 all day. And I remember thinking, man, if I could do that one day, if I could explain the Bible, I would love to be able to do that. One day, Charlie pulls me into his office and he says to me, hey, what's your plan in life? And I didn't really know what to say. And he said, man, what's your direction? Where are you headed? And I had no direction. I thought I would just work in construction for, for, for most of my life. And he said to me, you have no college education. You need to go back to school. I had no money to go back to school. Charlie eventually helped me get in school financially, uh, led to go to CIU and learned how to, uh, to teach the scriptures. And here, 15 years later, I'm on staff here. Why? Because I think a, a, a minister in the workplace where ministry really works had a big impact on me. And his ministry was contagious. And so is yours. So is yours. It's, an, it's not any less of value. There's great importance to what you're doing, even if it's at home and a stay-at-home mom, right? Your ministry matters, and people are watching, and your life preaches. So as we uh, uh, prepare now to sing this last song, let me just pray for us. Father, we thank you um, for what you have done in us and what you want to do through us. We want to now head into the rest of this day and the rest of this upcoming week with a, an expectancy of um, believing that you want to use us. Uh, so we ask that you will. We trust what you're going to do, and we want to praise you no matter what. Asking specifically that you would open up doors and opportunities for us to, to preach you, to talk about you. We don't want to talk about ourselves. We only want to point people to you. Asking for opportunities to do that. And we praise you and we trust you as we step into those opportunities. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We stand together. Let's declare this. Oh, Holy Spirit, move in our hearts and us with power into the world that oh holy spirit move in our hearts fill us with fire and love for the world and we are gathered in your name with expectancy and faith we are waiting we are
scriptures and faithfully uh, teaching us. Uh, I love just the way we end there, that we know that God has empowered us to do everything he's called us to do, to bless people. So wherever he puts you, trust in God that he will, he will give you the strength, he will give you the words, he'll give you the temperament you need in the moment. So prayerfully and humbly, let's go and bless people. You guys have a great day. Thanks for being here.